everybody. This is Keith Rainwater with the Designated Drummer Podcast. And this week, I have a very special guest, Saran Thompson. He is a spoken word performer, a writer, um, I don't know what you call artist, spoken word artist. Yeah. He lives here in Nashville, and uh, he is going to talk to us a lot today about uh, spoken word and what it is. Welcome. Welcome yeah. out, Saran. Thank you. Thank you. I'm glad and to be here. And he also goes by Saran, uh, sorry, S-Rap. S-Rap, yeah. And that's very cool because I was talking about how the commercial product, Saran Rap, is like, it's spelled different, but it's like cool that your name is Saran and that you that you are into rap, you know, that you can yeah. rap, so S-Rap. Yeah. That's very cool. It's also great because it's an international product too, so. Oh, that's right. So like even introducing myself and I'll tell people so they remember, I'm like, hey, I'm Saran, just like Saran Rap. And it's like, oh, I can actually take it abroad. Yeah, right. So, that yeah. is so cool. So, uh, and now I met you years ago at the library, at the, at the Nashville Public Library. You were teaching there. Mm-hmm. You were teaching spoken word. Is that right? You're yeah. teaching young kids about spoken word and about uh, how to write it, how to, you yeah. know, how to uh, perform it and all that stuff. Yeah. So um, at the Downtown Library in Studio MPL, big shout out to Studio MPL, by yes, the way. Yes, we love Studio MPL. Um, so I was working with Southern Word, and Southern Word is a nonprofit that teaches literacy through the vehicle of spoken word. And spoken word, in a nutshell, is performance poetry. So the way we would describe it in classrooms is like um, you have like your Shakespeare or your Robert Frost. We call that page poetry. It's poetry that's meant to be read, and spoken word is meant to be performed. So I see, I see. Yeah. So what we do is we go into schools and we either do residencies or workshops, but the main focus is to help young people find their voice through spoken word, to live in their truth, to stand on their truth, because the reality is is that if you can't speak for yourself, somebody else will, especially in this day and age. So I see, yeah. yeah. Now, a question I have about, now I know next to nothing about spoken word, and, and I'm hoping to learn more from you today about what it is and how you would get into it and yeah. what it means. And now, so... Let's. I'm just trying to equate it to my world, which is songwriting and music and that kind of thing. And in music, a songwriter can write a song about somebody else's experience. And I think a lot of people have a misconception that songwriters are writing from their own experiences. Yeah. Like when George Strait sings a song about something, they think, oh, well, he lived that. He yeah. wrote that. Well, actually, it was from another writer, probably, And because uh, George Strait's not a songwriter. He's just a singer, and he admits that very openly at like award shows and things like that. But... um it's somebody else's experience, or even if it was you writing the song, you're writing about an experience that didn't happen to you necessarily, but that you're conveying and you're making a song out of it. Now, spoken word, how important is it that the spoken word that you're writing and that you're you're creating be about yourself? Is that a thing, or is or could it be about something that's not about you? So, and this is very subjective, right? Because um, I come from the background of rapping as well as spoken word and kind of like having to do a, a delicate dance between the two. Having some rhythm in the words. Yeah. Is that well, what you mean? Well, like, um, so primarily I was a rap artist 100%, but I started to run into issues with like certain venues being able to perform and getting access because rap has such a negative stigma, like a powerful stigma of just like, oh man, these rap fans are going to come in here. They're going to get the shooting or the tear the venue down or something like that. A lot of anger in there and angst yeah. and that kind of thing. Um, but all my stuff is about positivity. It's more conscious. It's, it's about what's happening in the world and society. Spoken word topics tend to lean in that direction. And a lot of times spoken word is acapella. 
So what I would do is I would perform my rap versus acapella. And from there, now these venues and these places and these performance opportunities that I didn't get before, I now can kind of finesse my way in, so to speak. Um, In a nutshell, though, rap and spoken word, those two genres kind of cater to the artist is the writer Um, for the the majority of the time. When you get into like the commercial level of, of rap, like your Drake's or your Nicki Minaj, it becomes a different story but typically the person that is performing is the writer or the main person writing um but the topics don't always have to coincide with your own personal narrative so um i could take a story that my dad had in his childhood and write it from a first person perspective but chances are i'm the one that wrote it it may not be my story though and that you're that you're your passions and your heart, it's coming from your heart, meaning it's something that you feel passionate about and yeah. you're speaking, even though it was about somebody else. It's still your message is what yeah. I mean. Yeah. Yeah. A I lot yeah. a lot of times spoken word, um, like if you YouTube it, you'll find a bunch of pieces that are about like uh, social conscious issues, whether that's like racism, sexism, um, it could be ageism, like all the isms. It could be yeah. about capitalism. It could be about, you know, police brutality. It could be about, um, you know, like reproductive rights. It could be about um, being bilingual and the the prejudice that you face with that. Or it could be about mental health. It could be about love. It could be about heartbreak. It could be yeah. about infidelity. Um, but typically people take topics and the, they're very charged topics. Mm-hmm. Um, so very rarely will you hear a compelling spoken word piece that's just like, I just walked down the store and it was a beautiful day. Like, yeah. um, you might find that in songwriting, but not so much in spoken word. I spoken see. word okay. tends to be yeah. activating, so to speak. That, that, that clears up a lot to me about mm-hmm. that you can have a song that's just about nothing. And a lot of the songs from the 50s and the 60s were just about nothing, you know. Ba ba blue ba ba bam boom tutti free. What does that mean? It doesn't. It's just a song. It's just like it's supposed to be entertaining. Whereas spoken word, you get up there, you're gonna change. You're gonna, uh, you're gonna change people's view on something possibly. You know mm-hmm. about what when you say something in a certain way and a certain intensity, it might make them might open up their mind a little bit. Yeah. And I, I wrote down a couple of things that I thought to me were spoken word. And you give me your comments on this. What you think? Um, some of the most sort of famous, I'll say, or uses of spoken word that in our history would be like Shakespeare. What He was probably one of the first, I, I would think, spoken word, f- well-known spoken word, because his plays and his things like that were all spoken word. It's not music, really. Mm-hmm. It's spoken word, and it meant something, you know, it like was something that he, you know, in his plays, something that you would transfer from your heart to uh, your audience and that kind of thing. Another one is um, uh, Martin Luther King. Yeah, Martin Luther King. He's that's spoken word to me when I hear him talking because he doesn't do it and just like he's not just reading from a page or he's not just uh, just speaking monotone. His words and his intensity and his voice were so uh, it changed things. Yeah, I mean it. It was poetic. I remember in college um, for one of my English classes, we had to dissect a bunch of famous speeches. And when I saw the way that he used language, that actually his I have a dream speech is the speech that changed my mind about my perception of the English language and writing. 
So the ironic thing is growing up in high school, I was a math and science guy and I was on the fast track to be a biomedical engineer. Wow. Um, I used to make beats and like rap and freestyle with my friends. And I was like, oh, I want to do this. This is, you know, what I feel like I'm called to do, if you will. And my parents hated it. But <laughs> I realized you couldn't go to college to be a rapper. So I went the music production audio engineering route. And with that, I was terrible at English in school. I actually failed English in the 10th grade. Yeah. Um, as ironic as it is, because people would be like, I would never have. I would have thought you were an English major the way that you carry yourself. And I'm like, no, absolutely not. Um, but what I've learned is that when you really break down language and how colorful it is and the things that you can do, how you can instantly change how someone feels with the words that you use, all of a sudden you have a superpower. And spoken word, I love that Southern Word says that it's a vehicle because in the same way that if someone says that they sing, Regardless of whether you're singing pop, you're singing soul, you're singing blues, singing is singing. So spoken yeah. word, whether you're giving a speech, whether it's a play, um, I say the most recent example that a lot of people can kind of cling to is like the inauguration with yeah. Amanda Gorman. Um, so she got up there and she delivered this very compelling spoken word piece and people were just like, what is this? And it's like... That's the power of spoken word. Yeah. You know, and so, um, yeah, I think all of that, all of that, like, encaps like spoken word encapsulates everything. Yeah. So the other one I came up with was, uh, besides Martin Luther King, was uh, John F. Kennedy when he said, you know, ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country and that kind of thing. That kind of, I think that kind of made people think different. It kind of changed people's perspective of, oh, yeah, I need to serve my country. I need to be active. I need to do something instead of just sit back and expect them to do things for me. Yeah. And it was just like, you know, his – to me – and the way he said it was – like spoken word was not just like reading from a page he he meant those things and he said it with like where it would make people stand up and listen and the third thing i came up with was uh in commercials tv commercials radio commercials yes huge to me because you're having to you're having to sell a product and how do you get people to get up off their couch get in their car drive to the store and buy uh Tide or, <laughs> or or buy a, a a coffee product that they come the new creamer that they came out with spoken word yeah and that has to be whether it's visual or non-visual it, it's maybe there's music with it maybe there's not like a jingle but i'm talking about just a spoken word in a commercial somebody has to write that yep. somebody has to write down okay what are we going to say in this to get people off their couch to get them in there to to pull on their emotion strings yeah and to me that's huge spoken word Oh, absolutely. I did a commercial for Birchbox. In which now, what is that? What is Birchbox? Birchbox is it's like a monthly subscription box of just like self-care stuff. So, oh, cool. Um, you pay like a subscription. I forgot how much it is, but they'll send you like, you know, a little travel size cologne and deodorant and like eye masks and stuff like that. And so they reached out to me and I did a commercial where I was actually acting in it too. Um, but... I'm delivering spoken word on top of it as if I'm writing a letter to myself oh, okay. and it was really cool. And then I've also done a spoken word piece for a couple nonprofit organizations. 
Um, and then I did one for this documentary for North Nashville about the incarceration rate. And it's just like in the same way that if you're creating something for sync or for film, like, you know that the music grips you. That's the yeah. first entry point. It's not about the scene and it's not about the lighting or it's the yeah. music. Yeah. And the music is what's going to grab people. And then from there, how the scene is shot and how it develops. That is like the icing on the cake. And spoken word is the same way. Voice is the same way. I remember I saw this commercial. I, I'm so mad I can't remember the name of this ad campaign. Nike had this campaign where they would have these beautiful montages. And it would be like the very first one is this teenager. It's a like a white kid and he's like running. He's a little heavy set. But he's running on this long road and it starts with him in the distance and he's slowly running up and it's like the sun is rising behind him and you just see him like struggling. But you can tell he has that spirit of perseverance and the spoken word is just it's just the icing on the cake. Like you hear it. You're yeah. just like, oh, my gosh, I got chills from that. Wow. Then the next one is like um, this uh, little league baseball pitcher and he goes to pitch the ball and um the batter hits it he catches it and then you realize that he only has one hand so he switches hands with the glove grabs the ball and throws the runner wow. out at first and it's just like that's powerful yeah and you know and there's like 15 other videos but you just see it and you're just like oh my gosh this is so so incredible and it's like when i sat down and thought about it, i was like yeah it's the cinematics but it's also what the voice is saying yeah the voice is the nails right. so wow that's incredible so um i want to talk a little bit about the competitions and stuff like that i know yeah. that that's a really i know so little about spoken word and i was hoping that you could clear this up for me and our audience and that kind of thing is spoken word there's competitions. Mm -hmm. You sign up for it. You go in and you have your piece. And from what I understand is that one of the rules is that you cannot read it from a page. You have to memorize it. Yep. And I saw a guy uh, that had, that was um, talking about that and said that, well, I didn't know that that was, I can't remember, I can't even remember my own pen number, or my, <laughs> my, uh, my ATM account. So I had to write it down and he was disqualified because he wrote it down. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and then I started watching some competitions and noticed that, you know, nobody reads it from their page. They all have it memorized. And not only that, they act out. They're acting. It's how you present it, how you speak it, how you yeah. act it, how you it's almost like a um, like like you're acting a, in a play or something, you know. And uh, so competitions and that kind of thing. How would somebody sort of sign up for and do the competitions? Is it a yearly thing or so it really depends Um because people can organize their own competitions and spoken word competitions are typically called slams slams yeah so if you hear like a poetry slam it's a competition where does that stand for something like spoken language something something or slam just means like i have no idea probably <laughs> to be honest it's probably an acronym um i've just always known it as like if you're going to an open mic, you're just going to perform and to showcase. If you're going to a slam, you're going to perform and there's going to be judges that are going to score your performance and then you'll be ranked afterwards. Yeah. And so, you know, just so people know, like if you choose that you want to go to a slam, just be prepared. Yeah. Um, it's not a wrestling match. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> Join up to this slam. But yeah, so, so with that, uh, 
essentially you show up, you sign up, depending on the rules, however many rounds there are, you have to come prepared with that many pieces. And there's typically parameters such as like maybe it can't go over a minute or two minutes or three minutes. Um, any The second you say your first word, the timer starts. If you go over the time limit for every five seconds, you get deducted points. Oh, I see. Right. Um, and then you're judged based upon like how captivating was it? Um, what was your energy, your performance? Did you stutter and stammer a whole bunch? Those kind of things. Yeah. And um, it's really subjective, but it does play to the general idea that the judges are very different people from very different cultural norms. So this way you get relatively an objective view. I see, yeah. yeah. How many judges would there normally be? Uh, I say anywhere from like three to five. But typically I think three is kind of the smooth, yeah, kind of the, the basis. And how long would a would a slam be? An hour? No, nah, I mean they it, it can be kind of long, like really? maybe like two hours. How many contestants would that be normally? Um, um it depends. Twenty thirty. Uh, I say probably about like fifteen or so. Um, I know Southern Word, so we work with young people in the city, and we've done slams where it can be like. 20 30 students sometimes it could be like 10 it really just depends on like what level of participate participation (laughs) that you get so yeah i was watching a couple on youtube and what i really liked about some of them was how they started out with the element of surprise they started out just talking normal about something and you thought you're thinking in your mind oh this isn't going to be very engaging or exciting but then they start to ramp it up and then they start to get into it and then they start to act out their thing you know and it pulls you in i really like that there's been um so there's kind of like what they call solo pieces or team pieces and team pieces are whenever it's more than one person Ah, i was gonna ask that yeah could could it be more than one person yeah so there's like one famous piece um made by some college students and it's like a black guy and a white girl and they get ready to talk and they do the deep breath that lets you know the piece is about to start and then they stop they get quiet and they switch microphones And what happens is the guy is spitting the piece from the girl's perspective and she's spitting the piece from his perspective. Wow, that's very interesting. And so she talks about like the racism that a black man in America faces. And then he talks about um, just the sexism that a woman faces. And it's like it's mind blowing because you will have like straight up. I went to the mall today and I realized da, 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 da. And it's just like, okay, I'm talking about my personal perspective. Then you get these creative spins on pieces that are very like colorful and you're like, wow, I was never expecting this. There's one piece that we use in a classroom where a guy, he acts out the voice of Siri and it's the conversation where he's talking to Siri because um, he's coping with the death of his grandparents and he's avoiding his mom. He's avoiding his friends. But Siri is the only person that responds how he I see yeah. how he knows. You know, that's so, interesting. Yeah. Is it actual where he has Siri talking back to him like a recorded thing? Or no, is it but he'll just, he'll like um, he'll be like no new messages. Oh, so he's and acting like, out Siri's voice. Yeah, himself. Yeah, okay, yeah. I see. yeah. And right. so you get a lot of really cool like personification. Um, there's one piece that we teach where a kid his whole piece is about him uh, spitting a poem from the perspective of a gun. And like all the personification that happens, just the heavy utilization of literary devices, stuff you learn about in school. And you're like, why are we learning this? Um, It enhances the power of language. So. Wow. So competitions 
is there money involved? Do you do you win? Sometimes something? it can be. It? Um, sometimes it can be money. Sometimes it can be titles or status. Like mm. if you're the international Grand Slam champion of the world, I mean that alone by itself. Um, I know with Southern Word, there is a the umbrella organization is called uh, Youth Speaks, and they do this massive international slam competition called Brave New Voices, which is broken up based upon regions all across the world. And so with that, you'll have like kids from Chicago, kids from New York, kids from LA, kids from South Africa, and they all come and compete. And it's like an entire weekend of slams, but it's, it's incredible. So with that, you have the local slam, whoever wins that gets to go compete in this larger scale competition called Brave New Voices. So and it's then, a pyramid. Like you just keep getting bigger in competitions and then he'll finally, there's a winner, I suppose, yeah. of the whole entire yeah. nation thing. And they probably win some kind of trophy or money yeah. or something like that. Yeah. And so, then depends, like if you're an adult and you're competing in a slam, like whatever the slam is, you know, their prizes can be completely different. It really just depends on who's putting it on. Yeah. I was wondering, you said slam and all that, and I was thinking of sort of the history of rap and all that stuff and how in the beginning it seemed to me that rap was all about when people would get together and rap about sort of insulting each other mm-hmm. and how sort of had this negative kind of I'm tougher than you and you're just a tiny little squirt, you know, and and I'm I'm going to I'm going to bury you and that kind of thing and it would just be this this sort of mean-spirited thing back and forth. But um, your stuff is very positive and yeah. very like has a lot of hope in it and all that. How did you how yeah. do you feel about the did you did you start out that way as sort of you know slamming other people or did and then so, you just changed over? So actually I did. I I did. Um so that type of rap is called battle rap. Battle rap, yeah, yeah. that's right. Yeah. And it's uh it's a contest on who can creatively degrade the other person. Okay. Right. Yeah. Um rap has always been kind of rap and hip hop, I should say, has always been relatively rugged because it's they're both genres that were birthed out of kind of like hardship. Yeah. Inner city kind of Yeah. You know. And so a lot of rapping, um the concept of a cipher is like when you would see people stand in a circle, somebody might be beatboxing and then people take turns rapping. So that was initially and I'm gonna say loosely it was kind of birth from if you imagine like people standing on the corner and it's like a dead season so they're just kind of standing around it's like cool let's kick some rhymes but they're rapping about their environment they're rapping about the crime they're rapping about the drugs they're rapping about the issues with the police and so from there it's like you're rapping about what you see the only challenge is that in today's time the popularity has led to outside entities providing a platform to popularize those items. Yeah, I see. Um, But so for me, I started rapping when I was 11 back in like middle school and I got introduced to it through freestyling, which freestyling has two different meanings, but for the sake of this, it's improv, like straight off the top. You're making it up as you go. Yeah. And so um, I I was really, really good at it. It is the first thing I've ever done in my life that I innately was like, oh, this is relatively easy. So I went all through school battle rapping and I was taught that you battle rap as like a win by any means necessary. So like 
we could be good friends, but if we're battle rapping in front of somebody and you're just no like, one would know it, right? <laughs> well, like you could be like, man, my mom just passed away, and I'm like, oh, I understand that's a weak point for you, so I'm going to say the most outlandish things. I see, yeah. And at the end of it, um, I very rarely lost any battles, but I did not make a lot of friends. And it wasn't until college. So um, I guess like from a spiritual standpoint, like I ended up getting connected with some friends and got connected to God and then became a Christian in college. And I had like a spiritual moment where I felt like God was telling me, hey, you know, you want to live for me, but there's something you got to give up. And so I was like, sure, anything. And he's like, you can't battle rap anymore. And I'm like, I don't understand why not. But then I started to realize, well, even the way that I live my life, I'm a positive person. I love people. I love my friends, my community. And then I'm this source of positivity. And then you see me on Thursday nights battling on campus. You're like, whoa, what is this? Right. And so for me to to want to be a well-rounded person, um, I was like, cool, I'm not going to battle rap. And then out of nowhere, I had a dream one night and saw this scripture that said Proverbs eighteen twenty one. I know I'm getting religious. I'm that's okay. I'm gonna hop off the soapbox. But so, <laughs> uh, so the scripture says, "If life or death is in the power of the tongue, those that love it will eat its fruit." I had never read the scripture before in my life, um, but immediately something clicked in my head, and it was like, "If life or death is in the power of the tongue, that means everything we do, whether verbal or nonverbal, we have the choice to speak life or speak death." And what I've been doing before speaking death, I sure I can say that I won and I'm a dope battle rapper, but I'm not making friends. It's not furthering my career and I'm pigeonholing myself into a very small niche. And so like, well, what can I do to do the opposite? And I want to make sure that I'm speaking life and positivity and everything. So that kind of is the reason why I am the way that I am now with everything that I do. Um, But not to say that everything I do is happy go lucky. But it's just that it's it's real, it's raw, it's transparent, but it's from the perspective that I want to encourage, inspire and motivate and leave people with an impression. Yeah, 100 percent. Yeah. man, that's awesome. So how would one my, my big question is, how would one make a living at spoken word? I know you can do competitions and things like that, but how does one short of like teaching and that kind of thing? Like, how would one make a living at? It's the spoken word. Yeah, absolutely. So I think that um, on the earlier scale, it's a lot of just exposure. So you have to perform. You have to get good at your craft. Now perform by, are there, do you, would you have an agent that would book you in places and you would do like a set? Kind of um, like a comedian, but... but uh, No, so I'd say, like, if we're talking early stages, so kind of like the trajectory of it, in the beginning, like, you just have to be good in the same way that if you're a singer-songwriter, you just got to hit right arounds. Got to have like, some talent. Yeah. yeah. Once you get that, you get that feeling of performing, you've uh, qualified your work, and you know that what you're doing is something people enjoy, then you can start trying to go and get booked for gigs like hey in the negotiation stepping away from the open mics and more towards the paid opportunities um which would be in a club or would that be in a a, how would where would that be what venue well so depending on how you want to navigate um there's a lot of poetry events and so you can always just go to poetry like poetry price and you go and listen to poetry yeah um and then of course as you know an independent artist slash a business like a lot of your revenue is going to be generated through merch so 
Okay. Make sure that you got right. your merch in line. A lot of t-shirts, poets, anything like that. They yeah. write books, like poetry wow. books, and okay. then they sell those because you give a stellar performance. People want to stay attached to your work. They'll definitely buy your book. Um, and then I think as you scale, if you want more of the higher ticketed income, that's when you start chasing sync opportunities. That's when you start chasing like corporate gigs. Um, that's where you start blending your spoken word, maybe into other avenues like public speaking. So now you're delivering keynotes lace with spoken word. And now you're hitting a completely different, um, group, but also a completely different price tag. Yeah. So. Would that be the corporate thing? Would that be where you get up and you tell your story and you do some spoken word or is it just all spoken word? It doesn't necessarily like it can kind of be what you want. But like when you think about in the corporate space, they always have like professional development budget that goes out. Right. So they're like, okay, well, we have to do like diversity, equity and inclusion workshops. But you know, like instead of having someone that clicks through PowerPoints, it's like, why not have something that's yeah. more active and engaging? And so it leans for opportunities. It's just that it's a little bit non-traditional. So you do have to network and connect with people a bit differently, mm-hmm. like hiring managers and such. Um, but it's definitely an avenue. And if you kill it in a corporate space, that's like a return like of course yeah and then can you send out like you have sort of like a resume or something like that that has all your accolades on there and all the things that you would send it out to corporate people and say you know please consider me for your next corporate so i wouldn't so i have a cv and a cv um curriculum vitae is a little bit different than a resume because a resume is primarily just like your work experience um a cv tends to hold like what does that stand for uh curriculum vitae Okay. Um, and it traditionally has like the things that you've done. It's just a massive dump of like, so all my gigs that I've done, workshops I've facilitated, like publications I've been in, yeah. but there's, there's not like written bullet points of like, yeah. you know, so, um, but I wouldn't necessarily send that out to a potential gig. I'd send almost like a pitch. And so that pitch is just kind of like who I am, what I do here's a couple places that I performed that you would know. Yeah. And then maybe here's a couple videos to watch so you can get yeah, a feel, get a feel for what you do. Yeah. And all that. That's very interesting. It's, it's totally new territory for me and I'm enjoying learning about what this is and yeah, come on, what, come, it, what it can do. Come be a spoken word artist. So You've traveled all over the world with, with your spoken word. What would a, let's say a typical travel day, or I mean a typical day overseas be like for you? Is it, is there anything such thing as typical? Uh, that's a good question. <laughs> <laughs> so I've toured in Uganda and Rwanda and in Japan and I feel like it's most closely associated with probably like what a typical day for a music artist is like. Um, You know, you wake up. If you have meetings, you go to meetings. Otherwise, like what would a meeting be like for you um, there in, say, Japan? So in Japan, it was more so like I didn't necessarily have meetings there. It's more like I have a gig that evening. So I show up a few hours earlier for sound check. Where a club or something? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so what I do is, um, and you speak, you speak Japanese, don't you? I do. Yeah, I do. That's, that's amazing. Yeah. I mean, I studied abroad there for a year. So 
through that, I was able to learn the language and create music in Japanese. So, what well, would there as well. the spoken word thing over in Japan? Would that be in Japanese or is it in no, English? No, it'd be in English. Oh, I see. Okay. Um, but what I do is I'll perform music. So, imagine if I'm rapping songs, but in between my songs, I'll put poems. So, okay. maybe I'll do a song, I do a poem. I do a song, I do a poem. I do a song, I do a poem. And this way, it's like it kind of breaks it up, but it also makes me more memorable just because um, my pieces are short they're engaging and then from there we're back you know you're back jamming so this way it's like if i give you tunes that you're rocking with and then all of a sudden it's like now that i have your attention and you're bought in now let's talk about something real yeah you know and then from there people are like oh wow i never i never thought about that that way you know how long would a typical set be for you like at a place like that um it really depends like i can do anywhere from like 15 minutes to an hour just depends on whatever's you could do an hour mm-hmm. that is amazing to be able to do it to memorize all that stuff well, i guess i think of it as us doing a show on stage yeah. and yeah remembering all the songs people how do you remember all those parts and so rehearse oh yeah you do <laughs> yeah. you have to know the piece but all those words floating around my, that's just not my forte <laughs> man look i can say the same about you drumming you know <laughs> Like I can only move one limb and everything else stays synced up. So it's so like it, it's just in your brain as patterns and and they just come out. Yeah. Like you just know you're in that mode. You're in that zone and you you speak. You have one piece that you're doing and it just comes out. Perfect. Yeah. yeah. And it's I mean, you know, and I'm sure you can attest like once you've rehearsed something so much, you could literally play whatever you need to play while you're like writing a dissertation yeah you know right so it's it's, tattooed in your brain as we like to say yeah so it's the same thing like i do not step on stage and perform anything that is not um like i have not been in the shed enough to where it's tattooed um and once you're at that point like it's smooth sailing so it's like i've been in shows where like my monitors have gone out or like I can't control the feedback or something. And it's like something that would derail you if you don't have that practice, which is another reason why um, people push for you to memorize because you need to have it ingrained. Otherwise you lose the performance element. Yeah. Nobody wants to see you holding a piece of paper up there and reading. It kind of takes away from the performance part of it. I think. Cause I mean, it just bugs me when I see performers in Nashville now you know, back in the day, we didn't have things like iPads and stuff like that. You know, we had to learn the songs and play them, perform them live in front of people yep. like every night. And I see people out on Broadway now with their like iPads in front of them. It's like everybody on the stage has an iPad. I'm like, get rid of that iPad. <laughs> yeah. You don't need that thing. Yeah, because you can tell that they haven't learned been, the song. They right? haven't been shedding. I mean, like even even this conversation here, like if I was looking down at paper the whole time reading this would not be as engaging or connection, but it's like even sitting here, you can tell I'm doing hand gestures as I'm talking, yeah. making that deliberate eye contact. Yeah. These are all elements that you utilize whenever you're performing spoken yeah. word, and it makes you connect with your audience. Even that brings more. me a question: connecting to the audience when you're perform. I know everybody's probably different, but when you perform to your audience, are you looking around at different people, or do you stare off into space, or do you sort of look at one person? So I, I will kind of do a mix of all. Just because it gets a little weird if you're like staring at someone. Yeah, right. But what I do is I'll kind of like focus on performing big gestures and then I'll lock in eyes to deliver because something happens where even if people are kind of like lollygagging and not paying attention, when you lock eyes, it's like they're forced to listen to you. And so um, I've been told that when I perform, I'm very strong in my presence and it like it grips the audience because I want people to pay attention. So it's like, 
I'm looking people dead in their eyes and then we're there until I release. Wow. Okay. I'm going to put you on the spot here. I want you to do, if you want, if you don't mind, do a performance piece that's, you know, however, like a short one, like maybe 15 seconds or 30 seconds or something like that. And I want to know your style because I don't know what your style is and how you like connect with the audience and your voice would sound how you would change it how you would act it out so could you do a little piece yeah right yeah now? for sure i'll like give one you of your favorite ones i'll give you a snippet it is um a piece called unity and it's centered around um people that have like different walks of life but just realizing that it's like we need to be more together if anything especially in such a tumultuous time right where we live do i need to turn the mic down or anything is it gonna um i'm gonna back up <laughs> a little get, bit so okay, i'm gonna get louder so so yeah, yeah, yeah. okay I got, got you. you um typically i would do this like standing up and you know but we're sitting down in chairs right now drinking <laughs> coffee so but yeah so i've been seeing things differently lately like upside down and right side out Fingers twitch to red hands, gang signs flash and bang. I've been seeing things differently lately, like right side up and left side down, crimes against humanity, fighting imagination fabricated testimonies, don't contest bullet holes from bully cops to deceased souls. See, I've been seeing things differently lately, like inside out to downside up, land grabs create native outcasts and home sold signs gentrify landmines. Welcome to Nashganistan. Not quite Chirac, but will my students have to wake up and walk the school through the Badlands hoping that their car to life doesn't get plucked today? All they can do is mimic granny and pray. And then, you know, keeps going, keeps going, keeps going. That is amazing. That's so thought-provoking right there. Yeah. I don't see how you can actually say all that. I don't see how you (laughs) could. I would would stumble over my words big time. When I tell you, like, you have to get in that shed and yeah. just practice. Run it. You have to just like I'm practicing drums. You have to practice your your spoken word. Yeah. On general, um, if I have a performance, let's say like on a Friday, I need four days in advance to just run it over and over. Um, if I do not have four days, I will not take the gig because I made that mistake I early see, in my yeah. career and it was a very bad. You move. stumbled. And it, and it, oh it man, come so, off good. Well, so. Uh, <laughs> I got hired like out of nowhere to do a gig to it was kind of a cover um, for a political event. They wanted me to do this song that John Legend and Common did. It was like from the Selma movie soundtrack. And I was to do Common's verse. Never heard the song. Never heard his verses. The show was in two days. Um so or it was in like four but i didn't get the tracks until like two days in advance and so i didn't even have a chance because of work to run it until the day before i get up on stage and it was like i'm just now getting to the point where i could run it in the car non-stop maybe every you other haven't time. mastered it yet it's no. not not performance level so i get on stage and they're singing the chorus the verse comes i nail the first three lines after that my mind goes blank now, if I'm doing original content, I just default and I freestyle because I can freestyle very, yeah. very well, like 10,000 hours plus. So that's what you ended up doing? No. Okay. So because it's a cover, I can't freestyle because everyone knows the song. So I dead cold deer in headlights. Nothing. Wow. And um, they see what's going on. So they hit the turnaround. The chorus comes back in. I pull out my phone to look at the second verse to just quickly uh-huh. then put it back. 
I should have just wrapped off of my phone. But of course, this is where it's the catch 22. Second verse, same thing. Two two lines and then deer in headlights. And the worst part is after the show, there was a lot of like esteemed musicians on this gig. And so it was a bit earlier in my career. Um, and people would not look me in my face. Like it, it I feel like yeah. it was to my detriment for a while yeah. until I was able to recover from that. So do not, do not perform if you are not prepared. Yeah. No amount of money is worth a bad gig. We, we all have bad gigs, but like, yeah, you want we to all learn. Those. That's how we learn. Yeah. You have to fail in order to succeed. You have to, the failures are so significant in your mind that it almost forces you to rethink your whole, I've talked to so many musicians who've had the, that, oh crap moment, you know, that, that fail that, oh, you know, what am I doing? I, I have not, but then they, they overcome that and they move on and they learn from that so yeah. much that, that like they're twice the musician they were before they made that huge. Oh, a hundred percent. People yeah. like, uh, so you were asking earlier, like what is a typical me on the road? Yeah. A lot of it is me finding time to rehearse. Yeah. Um, so when I'm touring in Uganda, Rwanda, I'm on stage in front of like 20,000, 30,000 people. Um, if you're not used to that, like if you're performing in front of 50 or yeah. hundred, that is intimidating especially when it's me and my DJ. So I'm like, I'm up there by myself. You're talking about full stage size. So I have to not only project, but be bigger than life. Mm -hmm. It's all you. Yeah. Yeah. And so with that, it's like, there's no way that I can just get up there and just rehearse. I have to rehearse my performance element. Right. And so what is Saran doing during this time? I'm rehearsing somewhere. Do you videotape yourself sometimes? No, I'm scared. I'm scared. Yeah. I know what I to look see like. What it, oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> but I thought maybe that could help your move and say, oh, I need to move less there or I need to whatever. I'll, so I do it to learn. And now I'm to the point where like, you know, but I, it's, it's kind of like when people who don't do music or yeah. stuff like this, when they first hear their voice and they're just like, oh, I hate how I sound. Yeah. It's like, I hate watching myself perform. <laughs> like. I heard you mention in an interview one time, you're talking about your face and it has like some little light spots on there. Yeah, yeah. And you were telling this really interesting story about how when you first, that first happened to you and before that happened, you would walk into a room and you would make a connection with a couple of people and people would easily forget you or something. Yeah. And then when this happened, this, the, um, you have African-American skin, but you have these light spots that yeah. it's a, it's a sort yeah, of a bacteria or something like no, that. No, so the, it's, uh, it's vitiligo. Yeah. Um, vitiligo, if you don't know, it's just basically where you're, um, you have no pigment in your skin cells. So something with my immune system, my antibodies immune, attack. That's what it was, the antibodies, yeah. Yeah, they attack the melanin in that area, and so I'm just left without any melanin. And so you said, uh, from what I remember, you said when that happened, then now you walk into a room and people can't not look at you for at least 20, 20 seconds or more. And then what, what the things that you, you've got their attention now yeah. and then the things that you say stick and they will never forget you now because of they've stared at you, you know, and yeah. short of a, the wrong word to say, but they've stared at you for a little while and they've, you've got their attention and what you say really matters now. Yeah. So in 2012, uh, when I was in Japan, I had like a small spot, like right above my left eye kind of pop up and it was, it wasn't fully depigmented. Yeah. And so I was like, I don't know what's going on. But of course the insecurities flared up. Yeah. 
I come back to the States. It actually went away and then it came back and then it's just slowly had been getting bigger and it moves and changes. It's not static. Um, But when I'm not in performance artist mode, I'm a very much an introvert. Yeah. So it's like when I go places, I like to be inconspicuous. I don't like to draw attention. And um, you like to be a fly on the wall as much as you can. Yes. I know that feeling. I like to do that too. And then it's like, okay, with this vitiligo on my face, now when I'm going to a room, kids would be like, you know, they'll stare at me. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's hard, you know, it's hard to be the way that I want to. So I got connected to a bunch of people that had vitiligo, like support, because I didn't realize there were like support groups and stuff. So I got connected to one and I met this girl who she saw all the stuff I do with music and and poetry. And she was like, you know, I have some ideas. It it could be cool if we connect. Now, she has vitiligo all over her body. So it's like spots everywhere. everywhere. And so we were talking about it and... um, it was a new development for me. So I'm still kind of like finding my rhythm with it. And she is the one that actually said that to me. She was like, Hey, listen, like it's a superpower. Like don't hide from it. It's a superpower because when you walk into the room for that 15 seconds, you're going to stop everyone in the room. Right. What do you do with that 15 seconds? And so from there, good point. Yeah. So from there I was like, well, because I'm an artist and I'm trying to grow my platform and all this stuff, I was like, she I need to bingo, make sure right. yeah, that I'm exuding that boss energy all the time. So it's like, wow. if I come into the room and I captivate you to where you stare at me and notice me, you're not going to forgive me. And I'm going to make sure of that. That is so cool. I yeah. love that story. That's amazing. So what, what um, now for you, are you, what are you doing these days? Yeah. So Same thing? teaching? No, actually I'm not. But uh, so last year, um, me and another guy, Rashad, the poet, we actually made a spoken word album. It was part of this spoken word initiative, um, called get the griots to the Grammys. So okay. yeah. I'm going to try to take a long story and make it very short. But in 2019, there was a guy named Seku Andrews. He is a prolific spoken word artist and public speaker. He made an album, brought out a full orchestra and everything. Made this album incredible. He submitted it to the Grammys and he got nominated for best spoken word album. Wow. He lost to Michelle Obama's audiobook because the spoken word category includes audiobooks, instructional videos, sermons. It's kind of like I the see. other category. I see. Yeah. And he was like, man, this isn't fair. So he basically petitioned to the Recording Academy was like, hey, can we get this category split? They were like, well, in this category, if there was like a hundred submissions, only like 15, 20 of them were spoken word albums. So it's not enough to warrant getting it split. So there needs to be more volume of. Yeah. So he's like, okay, cool. So um, last year there was a campaign with him, this guy who did spoken word on Kanye's first album, Jay Ivy. Um, and then Brandon, AKA real talk. Um, they all came together and was basically like, Hey, listen, if you have a spoken word album or need help compiling one, let's, you know, get these submissions in there to show that this community is live and thriving. So me and Rashad, we were just doing it initially to, to, um, be a part of the initiative, but the, the project that we created, it's called the other side. And it's funny, as you were talking about this podcast, I was like, man, um, this is actually right up the alley and I highly recommend 
listening to this project. So the other side is the story of you making it to the other side of your goals or your dreams or your success. But it's like the hero's journey. So in the beginning, it's from that moment of conception, like this is what I want to do, but I have no idea how to get there. I have no experience, no network, no connections. And it just takes you through the ebb and flows until at the end of the album, you arrive on the other side. Um, the other side which would be success. Yes. Like you're, you're actually doing what you set out to do. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Like, like you're living in your, in your passion, you know? Yeah. And, um, it's really funny because we made it and it is arguably one of the best things that I've ever made in my life. Wow. Um, and so of course we threw it in a hat. The city loved it. That album led us to have a headlining show at exit in at city winery um we got an interview that was landed on npr a headlining show wow that's yeah. amazing and so um and also the the cool thing is we didn't get the nomination we didn't get the grammy however the grammy category got split so this year there's now best spoken word nar- narration and audiobooks i believe and then best spoken word poetry album so we're actually we just finished up the second album called um, The Other Side Two T O O, and it's just a continuation. But it's like letting people know that hey, once you arrive at the other side, your journey doesn't end, but it actually begins. If anything, right? Yeah. And so again, just taking you through the ebbs and flows, and we partnered with the Varsity, which consists of um, the production team Michael Hicks. Um, Kyle Hip, Hicks, a.k.a. Bat Flips, and then Adrian Taylor, three incredible artists and producers in Nashville, musicians, just geniuses. And yeah. so, yeah, we put together this album that we submitted as well, and we're hoping with this one that we can truly take it all the way to the top. That so. will be good. I'll see if I can put a link uh, in our uh, show notes on this podcast uh, to know where you can get it. It's available now? Yeah. So the other side, the first one, yeah. is available now. The other side, too, is available for pre-order. It'll, okay. it'll be coming out on September 23rd, so September in a few weeks. of 2022? Yep. Cool. Awesome. Well, we will definitely put a link to that on there. Um, one of the, What else did I want to cover? Um, what's in the future for you? I mean, is this, uh, obviously, this is currently what you're doing with the albums and stuff. Like, where do you see yourself five years from now, 10 um, years from now? Yeah, so what I actually want to do is move into public speaking. Or professional speaking, I should say, sorry. And um, with that, utilizing spoken word into the speaking platform. So in the same way that people get up and they deliver keynotes, I want you to intentionally feel the poetry and spoken word behind it um, and do some really cool stuff with it in a corporate space, whether that's keynotes, workshops, trainings, um, just different things. And I think that that's going to be the career move to retirement yeah. so and any any aspirations to teach to teach i know you've been doing that for a while um, um if i teach it's going to be more on like a a larger scale workshop base and probably more on like a corporate level um i love young people and um southern Wear always has my heart so whenever opportunities arise to collaborate with southern word i'm there yeah. Um, I'm actually going to be teaching at a school in a couple of weeks as well um, cool. at Stratford just to be able to go in and do some music production and writing stuff. Yeah. So, Don't you love teaching young people? The thing I love about teaching young people is to that when that spark happens, when 
you convey something to them, you teach something, even small, no matter how small, and you see that light in their eyes. You yes. see that that possibility, that 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 uh, spark on on their side. Oh, listen! I tell my students all the time, I'm like that spark, that flame that you have, protect that. Yeah. Because the second that you have that and it gets ignited, the world is going to try to snuff it out. That's right. And it's yeah. like if you can protect it and preserve it, it will take you to places you couldn't even imagine that you'd end up. Yeah. That's true. I love that. I love yeah. that about teaching people and young people are our future. So. Yes. We have to we have to make sure that they're uh, well taught, well trained, well inspired, you know, yes. inspire them. And also for for any adults that are listening, like it is our duty to protect our young people. So in the same way that. You know, I told them to protect, it's up to us to also protect and pave the way for them so that they can thrive and flourish and take what we were able to do to the next level so that the future generations after them can keep the legacy going. Yeah. yeah. Man, well, it was so great having you on here. Yeah. I've learned so much about spoken word and I've always been curious about that. Absolutely. That Thank I you for having our, me. Yeah, you bet. I hope our listeners have. Uh, inspired to go out and listen to a spoken word uh, co- um, show. Uh, what would you call it? A yeah. Spoken word event, concert. Show, event. Yeah. yeah, event. Yeah. That's a good word for it. Spoken word event. That makes me want to go out and search out where they're going to be happening and all that and go listen to it. It's so inspiring to hear people's stories and people's uh, performances. And Yeah. I mean, it's in the same way you can go to like a, a music show and you walk away so full of life. Like spoken word does the same thing. Yeah. And so I love it. And I highly recommend it. And if you don't write... You should start. Just play around with some start. thoughts. There's nothing better in the world that you can do than write because yes. you own that. That's your intellectual property. And I always tell young people there's nothing in the world better than you can do than to write, yes. to create something and own that. You know. Yes. From the second you put the pen to paper, you're creating. Whether good or bad or indifferent, it doesn't matter. You created that, and that's, that's powerful. Yeah. And it can only get better from there. Yes, 100%. Perfected. I always, always like to say that uh, I learned that amateurs, this is a saying that I always repeat, amateurs work to get it right. Professionals work to never get it wrong. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I've, I've, getting, I've gotten a thumbs up for every person I've recited that to. Listen, I give you two. <laughs> it's so true. Professionals, you know, and not, not to say that professionals don't ever make mistakes. They cover them in a way, they, they intentionalize them. They may, like, I meant to do that. Yeah. They roll it into a cool thing, you know. I think it was Miles Davis, I believe, that said that there's no wrong notes in music. Right. What really matters is the next note that you the play. Ne- that's exactly it. That's yeah. a perfect way to put it. Yes, exactly. So, yeah, professionals, they just they just never get it wrong. As far as you know, they never get it wrong. Yeah. <laughs> Even in their mind, they're like, what was I doing there? But anyway, my next note was that. Look, so I can't tell you how many shows I've done where – in my mind, the second I step off stage, I'm like, I messed that up and I messed that up. And I'm like already beating myself up and people are like, oh my gosh, that was so amazing. And I was like, no, I missed this word or I forgot the verse and had to freestyle. They're just like, I couldn't tell. It was awesome. And so, you know, just being able to, to enjoy that is, is very important. Yeah. To roll a mistake into a, you know, an entertaining thing. Yeah. Turn a mistake into a masterpiece. That's it. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, man. It's great having you. And I'm going to come see one of your, your public performances real soon. Yeah, please, please just let me know. And then I got you. You got it. (laughs) This has been designated drummer with Saran Thompson, spoken word expert and artist. 
and uh, we'll see you next time. 